Good morning, good day, good evening. I am as always your host, Brody Robertson, and today we are back for episode 97 of Tech of a T. Now, I spent like an extra half an hour than I normally would finding topics for the podcast, but then I realized, wait, I have too many topics already. Why am I doing this? Because uh, CES happened, so obviously... There's a lot of boring shit that came from CES. We're not going to go over, like, everything. But there are some, like, really weird things that came out of it that I I really, I really do want to talk about. Um, I think we can start on... You know what? We'll start on the least weird, and we'll get weirder as we go. So the least weird... Actually, no, this isn't even the least weird. But this is the least weird. So the least weird is that... Uh, Sony has a new version of the, the PlayStation VR. Now, Sony, if you have realized, has given up on naming their video game related devices, uh, what, like 20 years ago? <laughs> they never bothered naming them. It's like PlayStation 2, 3, 4, 5. Well, they've kept that going with the PlayStation VR 2. Um, they've just, they've just called it PlayStation VR 2. The logo is just... Like, some... Okay, let me just... Let me just explain this to you, right? Someone at Sony, or someone, like, contracted by Sony, got paid to design this logo. Now, for anyone just listening to the podcast right now, the logo is the PlayStation logo, that one that already exists, they're using for everything else, and then VR2 in Times New Roman. Like, there's no interesting logo. There's nothing fancy here. It's just PlayStation VR 2, and the VR 2 is in Times New Roman. I want to know how much this person got paid to make this logo. I don't... I've never used the original PlayStation VR. This could be, you know, could be great. I don't know. Uh, I actually think the last time I used VR was, like, it was a Vive two years ago? I believe it was the latest version of the Vive that was out at the time. So, like, I still have a relatively modern um, understanding of what VR is like. But, I don't know, this could be great. It could be the greatest bit of VR ever created. Surely it's better than the previous version because now you have, you know, more graphics hardware to actually drive graphics. Yeah, that's what graphics hardware does. Um, it looks like it's got the, you know, VR controls like you'd sort of expect, but I just want to talk about just how little effort Sony actually puts into naming stuff. And you know what? It's kind of like a breath of fresh air. Like Microsoft, Xbox, Xbox 360, Xbox One, Xbox One Series X. Like, this is this makes no sense. Get into monitor naming. It's like... Don't even bother working it out because anything after like the number which is the monitor size means absolutely nothing. I don't know what monitors I have. All I know is they have a 27 in their name because they're 27 inch and it's a fucking mess basically. So even though I'm going to laugh about the fact that someone was probably paid at least at least like 15 or 20,000 dollars to actually design this logo it is nice that Sony actually cares about making their products easy to find. Honestly, they probably just didn't want to pay... After making that logo, they probably just didn't want to pay anyone to actually come up with an exciting name. So, like, fuck it. Take the previous name, stick a number on it. So, hey, 
If you're going to buy a PlayStation VR 2, well, now you know what it's called. Now, the uh, next bit of news we have, next bit of CES stuff, that this one... Okay, PlayStation VR 2? Sure, cool. We haven't had a new PlayStation VR in a while. This one... Oh, I don't know why anyone would even report MSRP for a new graphics card. So, AMD's new 199 Radeon uh, RX 6500 XT offers a cheaper RDNA 2 entry ramp. Now, let's just go by how much a 6600 currently is. And we'll go between the different tiers to try to work out what the price actually would be in Australia. So, <clears throat> a 6600 currently is $700 in Australia. So, a 6600 XT, uh, $800. Okay, then the next one after that is the 6800. No, sorry, 6700 XT. That goes up to 1500. So, <clears throat> I could imagine if there was a 6700, it would probably be about $1,000 Australian. I would guess, judging by, like, the difference between value tiers. So, while there is this $200 MSRP in the US, which would normally mean... It would normally mean around, like... 350 400 in Australia I would say judging by existing cards that are on the market right now when it's in stock it'll probably be in the range of maybe 6 or 700 dollars in Australia what it works out to be in the US I don't know that's going to be up to your guys market actually let's go and check Newegg right now uh I actually don't know what US prices even look like uh, Newegg, America, yep. Um, RX, 6600. So that one is... Oh, sorry, 6600 XT. I was going to say, there's no way... Uh, base 6600... Wait, what the fuck? Why is it 70... Okay, no, that's a higher-end card. Okay, this one right here. So, 619... 624, 600. Okay, so it seems like it's about 600 in the US market. So I would say it's probably fair to assume that the 6500 XT, don't worry about MSRP, it's nonsense at this point. I would say 400, 400 or 450 is my guess. I might be completely off. Maybe it actually does sit closer to its MSRP at like 300, but. Judging by the existing market, I wouldn't be holding my breath for anything lower than 400, which for some people might be, you know, might be good. Maybe, maybe 400 for a 6500 XT is what you want. Um, <clears throat> let's also estimate performance. Uh, obviously, you know, card's not out yet, but we can see where the 6600, uh, we can see where the 6600 sits. So theoretically, if we know the difference between each card, we can sort of estimate um, estimate where this card's actually going to sit through very, very unscientific methods. So this is on the Blender Render. Uh, let's go game stuff. So Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. I remember when this game was like really hard to drive. Nowadays, like a fucking entry card can do it. Uh, so 6600 is 108 frames, 
Uh, XT is 130. Uh, 6700 XT is 150. So, I would say from not even pay the, the fucking specs are probably listed on this page, but from not looking at the specs whatsoever and just uh, completely winging the numbers, I would say if it's around 95 FPS in The Witcher 3, I think that's, I think that's about, I think that'd be about fair. Um, so that would put it compared to my card, the RX, uh, 570 here. So it would still be almost double the performance of my current card. I still, I don't want to go 500 class though. I've already said that I'm waiting till the 7,000 series now and I will just, I'll just pay whatever the 7,000 series sits at and go for like a... Either a six, probably 600 class, I would say. Probably 600 class, which would put it, I don't know, we'll work, we'll work that out when the cards actually hit the market. Hopefully around, like, I'd be happy if it was somewhere around, like, the 3060 Ti, to be completely honest. Um, but yeah, so that card's not going to be available, uh, but it's on the market. <laughs> it's, it's going to exist, but it's not going to be available. Actually, buying GPUs now has actually gotten considerably easier. I don't know if it's just because every single mining setup already has all the cards they want to own, or if they're all holding out for the next generation of cards or what it is, but buying a GPU as of late has been, like, everything's in stock. Like, it obviously is an exception to, like, one card, but, like, most cards you want to buy, at least in the Australian market, at this stage, you know, a go... Okay, maybe the 700 not. Um, but, like, still in stock. Like... Sure, some of them are sold out, but this is fairly normal. Um, you can buy a card right now. Like, that's that's the difference. You can buy a card even if the card price is just absolutely, absolutely fucking ludicrous. $2,000. <laughs> okay, no, that's a liquid cold card. Even so, that card shouldn't be any more than, like, $1,500 in, uh, in the Australian market. But, yeah, you know, graphics cards are going to come out even if... Even if no one's going to want to buy them. I want to see what the comments are saying, actually. So, Scalps will be moving these for around 400 then? Uh, yeah, that's, this guy's got the numbers right. Looks like a $100 card. What? Looks like a $100 card? When have you paid $100 for a 50 class? Uh, based on what year GPU prices were you, you're frozen in your mind. Times have changed. Old RTX 2600s from a few years ago now go for 700 <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, this GPU is an absolute joke. Never thought AMD could surpass the absurd, uh, 5500 XT, but they outdid themselves. What a joke the $200, $300 GPU market continues to be. Regardless of the current shortages in demand, this is uh, inexcusable and a joke of a product, considering its specs and MSRP. MSRP doesn't matter. Uh, even AMD is very aware of their own stupidity, considering they even had the audacity to compare with a 1650 and RX 570. I don't think it's going to be that bad. As I said, I think it's going to hit around... It's probably going to be somewhere around the 95 FPS mark in Witcher 3, so that would put it below a RTX 2060. Obviously, you know, not the most performant card, but it's also a... Uh, it's also a 50-class card, so you don't really expect high performance. You expect a card that literally functions... 
let's go Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, so judging by my imaginary numbers I'm making up on the spot right now, um, yeah, so it should, I would say it sits around, if we're going below the 2060, just around the maybe 45? Oh, actually, even, surely it'd be above a RX 590, so probably around like, Actually, wait, that's the 5500 XT. Surely it has to be above that. Maybe it'd be a bit higher then. Maybe it'd be a bit closer to, like, uh, the RTX 2070. I don't know. Obviously, we're going to have to wait till actual benchmarks show up. Uh, actual benchmarks show up to actually know what the performance is going to be like. Um, I'm sure that LTT is going to be doing a video on it if they actually get a... Uh, if they actually get a card, unlike when NVIDIA released a card a while back and uh, reviewers didn't get seeded any samples. Uh, why is AMD releasing a new card with 4 gigabytes of VRAM in 2022? Uh, the new budget NVIDIA card at 249 has 8 gigs of VRAM. This card not having at least 6 gigs is a joke. As someone using a 4 gig 1650, the one thing my gaming could benefit from is more VRAM. Um, I don't think you need more VRAM. You're, there's no way you're playing games above like above 1080p. I maybe maybe for like shader effects that are becoming more uh, more common because more cards are having more uh, VRAM. But even so, I I don't think yeah I don't think like needing eight gigs in a entry class card really makes any sense. Um. But this card is a thing, maybe, possibly, uh, probably not. Uh, <laughs> anyway, another thing that came out of uh, CES. This now we're getting into the weird parts. So this is the uh, the new Dell XPS thirteen. Um, that why are we not swapping? Oh, I'm pressing the wrong button. The new Dell XPS thirteen that has a touch bar. Now, when it says touch bar, it does not mean touch bar in the same way as, you know, the Macs, where they have this, basically they have a screen. Um, what it actually means is something way worse and actually really shit. Uh, so basically, they replaced the function keys with these, uh, these touch buttons. So, yeah, totally not a touch bar, guys. No, it's totally not a touch bar. It's a bunch of touch buttons. This is shit. Maybe it'd be fine. Like, look, maybe it's going to be fine when it actually comes out. And hopefully, hopefully this is a device that actually reports stuff properly. Like, I hope that this is just being reported as individual keys on a keyboard. Because if that's being reported as some, like, some weird drive, like, if it, if it needs some weird driver to actually function, um, you're not using this device on on Linux because you will not have function keys. Oh, you also don't have function keys anyway because um, they replaced the function keys with the buttons. So hopefully those report as like F1 through 12, but you won't know which one you're actually pressing without, you know, counting along. So that's fun. Honestly, I would have preferred an actual touch bar, to be completely honest. Uh... Those are the, I wonder what the travel on those keys are actually is, because they the the travel looks really short, so it already looks like something I don't want anything to do with in my life. Also, what the hell is the trackpad? Um, 
Another thing you'll probably notice is there's no dedicated trackpad beneath the keyboard. Dell has outfitted the XPS 13 what it calls Haptic Force Pad. Uh... Uh, it, wait, this one doesn't physically depress when you click it, it just re uh, reproduces the sensation of depressing. <laughs> re reproduces the sensation of depressing. Okay, there's a way to phrase that. Uh, imagine there might be a learning curve. So I'm, I, but there's no markers on where it is either. So is the entire thing a trackpad? Surely not. Um, there's no... There's no mention of it here. I can't imagine the entire thing as a trackpad. That would be impre- You know, I could forgive the, uh, the weird function key replacement if this entire thing was a trackpad. I really doubt that it is, though. Um, I presume there's- Either it's the pictures that aren't showing any delineation, like, at all. If there's no marker whatsoever, that would make it incredibly difficult- Okay, so no, you just gotta kinda guess where the trackpad is. What? Why? Like how? Like I totally get the whole not having a uh, a physical trackpad, but why would you not have like something here? Like I don't know, um, uh, you know, a a, a bump or something, so you at least know where your fingers need to be. I'm sure you could get used to it, but something, something would be nice, like. This just, uh, this just looks hilarious. True, though. <laughs> also, I uh, like saying, uh... Also, like, Monica saying, Dell got mad at us for calling it a touch bar, so it's not a touch bar. Video title, is that a touch bar? What do you think about Dell adding a touch bar? It's not a touch bar. It's... Uh, it, okay, it's technically a touch bar, but when you say touch bar, everyone's thinking of the macOS touch bar. But that's not what that is at all. Uh, fortunately, the regular XPS with great keyboard and touchpad will still be available... Something either the blogger isn't aware of, or they decided to not mention it in the article. Okay, so this is going to be just another part of the XPS line. So what if I actually want to press a function key? <laughs> maybe. Look, maybe, maybe, as I said, maybe it'll actually have something. Uh, this is my concern. I understand using those keys for things like volume, brightness controls, etc. But what about F1 through 12? Uh... Found my answer in the R's... Okay, so R's Technica actually mentioned this as well. So, instead of pressing FN and Escape, you can make it display one of two sets of menus. Okay, so it can either display the function keys, or it can display the... Okay, so I'm guessing it is working like a keyboard then. Okay. How ridiculous. Hold a button on the bottom left of the keyboard, then hold a touch bu button on the top left, then you see an F key. Uh, that's actually pretty normal for, uh, like, not seeing the F key, but having to hold down a function key to access uh, either a second macro layer or F keys or something like that. Did I say not F keys? To access second macro layer, usually for things like the media controls. Holding down a function key is pretty normal on a, uh, like, a 40% keyboard, for example. Um, this is functionally identical to 99% of laptops on the face of the planet, most of which don't have a dedicated function row and share the space with media keys. Um, no, the touch bar shit with the awful default setting that changed folks in every app that supported it. You dig through system preferences to get it, uh, that reconfigured. Aha. Uh -huh. While I tentatively approve of the not touch bar function row, 
I don't understand how any Windows users would even tentatively approve this. Function keys are in so many shortcuts, and many uh, and anyone who does basic word processing or spreadsheet work would be less productive without them. Uh, I think it's a cool idea. Like, see what CS is cool for is showing off really stupid things that nobody actually wants to buy. Like, that's what CS is great for. Now, speaking of really stupid things that nobody wants to buy, um. Gaming chair. Now, a literal gaming chair. This is a gaming chair that is basically a big vibrator. Uh, so Razer's Enki Pro Hypersense can jig you to the beat of your games, made in collaboration with D-Box. Um, basically, as I said, it's basically a big vibrator. So this chair will, like, actually shake. You know, like, probably not to the same extent you would see, you know, if you go to an arcade... Uh, there's still arcades that exist near you, and you know how you'll, if the one does exist there, it'll probably have some sort of racing game. You know how the, the chair would shake. Um, I don't think it's going to be anywhere near that sort of extent. Also, that would be incredibly annoying for anything besides racing games. Um, but <laughs> this, as I said, this is why I like CES because really stupid shit like this can happen. Uh, also, is I presume it's not battery powered. Um, uh, what's not shown are the wires. Okay, so it's going to obviously. Okay. <laughs> so if it's not battery powered, that would mean you need to have a power cable running to it. Because there's no way, like, there's no way this would be able to be powered by USB power. Not a chance. USB power would not be enough to drive this motor. So you'd need to have a power cord to it and also a cord to your computer. Moving this chair would be a pain in the ass. Um, but I think it's cool. I think, I think it'd be cooler if it was wireless. Like, obviously, you still need to power it some way, but at least wireless to the computer. So, I don't know. Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or whatever you want to do. Um, let's see what the comments are saying for this one. Uh, similar to D-Box's movie theater seats that can... Uh, movie theater... Theater... theater movie theater seats that can rumble and move. Uh, anyone watched a movie that uses these seats? Seems kind of distracting. Uh, I remember watching a movie back when I was a kid. Uh, at... Um, movie World? Yes, at Movie World. There was a... I think they called it at the time, like, a 4D screening of some movie or something. I think it was, like, Jurassic Park or something, where basically the, sh the chair moved, you were sprayed in the face with stuff, and also you had 3D glasses on. Like, it was it was a sh just a shit experience. <laughs> like, it was cool as a kid, but looking back at it, it was a shit experience. Um, but I think in certain, si uh, certain situations... A moving chair would... It would be better. I think there's a lot of games, though. You know, the vast majority of games, which I think would make it worse. Like, it's the same reason why, like, on any game controller, for example, I disable rumble. Because, for the most part, I just think rumble is distracting. I don't think it adds anything to the game. I think all it does is just... Makes me pay less attention to what's going on. Um, oh, wait, Razer, hold up, hold on a second. Um, the big question with this chair is compatibility. Um, <laughs> imagine your big concern is, is my, 
Is my game compatible with my chair? Uh, Razor says that over 2,200 games, movies, and music tracks offer native support. Okay, sure. Uh, that seems like a lot, but in terms of games, Razor only shared Forza Horizon 5. Okay, that's one of the few games that actually matters. Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I, I don't want that. F1 2021. Okay, so out of the three games they mentioned, two of these, I think it actually would be a better experience. The, so the difference with something like Forza Horizon 5 and F1 2021, and very, actually pretty much all racing games. Racing games, you as the player, like, you, like in the game, your character is sitting down. When you're sitting down and the player is actually sitting down, although the character is sitting down, that allows you to actually create some sort of like, I guess connection between the character you sort of feel more engaged in the game i think in those games it makes sense assassin's creed valhalla would be weird because you're running around in the game but you are play like you're sitting down as a person so it doesn't i don't think it would really work the same way i think for music and movies it it's a different experience definitely music because, you know, people already like giant subs, so effectively having a sub attached to your ass, I think, might be a, might be an interesting experience. I'd be up for that one. Movies, the same sort of bet. I think focusing down on the... If it's focused more on the audio side rather than the player movement, I think it might work. Uh, outside of games, obviously, like racing games. Um... But if it's focused on, like, what the character is doing, I really don't think it's going to be sensible. I think anyone who buys this chair is going to realize very quickly, like, wait, this is actually shit. Also, is the side of this chair made of carbon fiber? Is that carbon... Is that carbon fiber or just plastic that looks like... Or plastic that just is, um, is painted to look like carbon fiber? Why am I getting hiccups in the middle of a show? God damn it, this is going to be a pain. Um, yay. And that's pretty much the end of the, um, the end of the CES stuff, but it's not the end of the podcast. That is just the beginning. Um, I could have gone on, like, way more CES stuff I really wanted to, but, uh, I wanted to talk about other stuff that's not CES. Um, since we're pretty much to the end of the first part, I want to talk about a, a fun thing that you know, could make your podcast so much better. <laughs> God damn it, these hiccups. Oh no, this is going to make it so much fun. Okay, okay. You know, maybe I should just stop now and refresh and get rid of the hiccups, but no, I'm going to wing it. Hopefully they go away. Um, podcasters are letting the software pick their ads. It's already going awry. So basically, a, a, like a, a Google AdSense way of applying ads to a podcast. Now, this... This is fine for a pod podcast like mine, where I don't give a shit. And, you know, if I get an ad for... Like, if I, if I was to do this and then all of a sudden, like, like a an ad for vibrators was added to the podcast, or an ad for, I don't know, some, some drug, because dr advertising drugs in the US is a normal thing, apparently. Or, like, an ad for KFC. I don't care... Anything, any sort of ad would be 
goddamn it, these hiccups would be perfectly accepted by me. But you know, there are some shows where they have sort of like you know up a, a brand a brand image, and that they're, they're trying to and they're trying to maintain a brand image. Like for example, you have a um a kids show, uh, and you're like, well, let's uh let's have a Let's have an ad that's, you know, targeted towards adults on the kids on the kids show. That's not going to go uh go too well for both both the advertisers who don't want to have their stuff shown to people who are definitely not supposed to be seeing it, but also for the <laughs> for the podcast itself, which is going to be sort of it's a lot of people aren't going to realize the ads themselves aren't directly associated with the uh, the content of the actual show. So even though someone who knows what's going on would be able to discern those two things, if you don't know that and you just throw something on, if you see that show up, you're going to be like, why, why, why is this here? What is going on? <laughs> it comes to make you hard to think. God damn it. I'm going to have to take a break for like five minutes. Um, where is it going? Right. Uh, for a, for a podcast like mine, don't, don't care. But, I can totally see why anyone would uh, be bothered by this. But you know what? If you are bothered by it and you want to have very specific ads, just do the ad stuff yourself. Go and, you know what? Go and actually vet your ads. Make sure that the ads actually fit your project and fit the uh, fit the theming you're going for to make sure you don't have something that just seems completely out of place. Um... Because the the Google Ads the Google AdSense model makes sense on YouTube because YouTube doesn't really have any ads that are that outlandish for the most part. There are actual obvious scams on YouTube on YouTube, but for the most part, it's like, hey, you want an ad for fucking Clive Palmer? Uh, this fucking hell. I'm getting nothing but Clive Clive Palmer ads right now. Or you want an ad for some KFC or some McDonald's? Well. That's fine. It's not like you have, you know, the the, the Pornhub ad network also inside of AdSense. And uh, that's just going on to like, hey, here's this video about the new Lego set, for example. But I'm going to take a five minute break, try to deal with these hiccups, and we'll get back to it. (laughs) Okay, now we're back. Hopefully that doesn't become a problem again. And uh, we can just move forward with the rest of the podcast so that, that nothing else gets ruined by my evil, evil hiccups. Now, oh, God, don't start yawning as well. <laughs> anyway, um, I want to talk about, what do we want to talk about? Uh, actually, you know, we'll talk about Curse of the Dead Gods, actually. So, recently I started playing Curse of the Dead Gods. Um, Curse of the Dead Gods is a rogue light. It's one of those many, many, many a rogue light that exists nowadays. Um, I would say it's a, I think the best way to describe it, a lot of people describe it like Hades. I think a better way to describe it is it's, it's Dead Cells cross Hades. I think. I think that's the better way to look at it. Um, 
if you if you look up Curse of the Dead Gods, one of the first things that shows up is Curse of the Dead Gods versus Hades. I feel like overall Hades is Hades is a better game. Um but they're both really, really good games. So Curse of the Dead Gods. Where do I even start with this? So actually no, we'll start right at the start. My biggest problem with the start of the game, it just throws mechanics at you. So you start, you're thrown into the game, um, and it's just like, okay, you're in this room. Doesn't give you any instruction on what's actually going on. And then you go forward to the like the tutorial area. Now the tutorial just it just throws things over and over and over and over again at you. If you're not paying enough attention, it's pretty easy to miss some fairly useful concepts. I think the tutorial could do a better job with being sort of, I guess, more slowly, um, more slowly, I guess, introduced you. Like, okay, here's your, obviously introduce your attack straight away, but here's your attacks, then here's your dodge. Maybe go into another room, try out these things for a little bit. Okay, here's how stat boosts work. Here's how, uh, here's how other weapons work and all that fun stuff. Um, I actually did notice another problem with the tutorial. So the tutorial expects you to die after you go and actually play through, um, through one of the areas. Now, if you don't die, it never shows you that tutorial. So you can be playing for like 10 hours. And if you never die, it will just never show you the rest of the tutorial. Um... And because this game isn't, it's nowhere near as difficult as something like Hades, it's pretty easy to, to get fairly far in the game, never seeing that tutorial. So the basic structure of uh, how it works is you start off with these three dungeons you can go to, or three areas of the temple you can go to. Now, the top of the temple is four areas long, but you can't actually access the top of the temple in your first run. So it's sort of got this, I guess, I guess you describe it as like an anti-speedrunner mechanic built in. So if you're trying to speedrun the game, you by, by default cannot actually get to the end of the game on your first run. So the way you get further in the game is finishing each of these individual levels, and then you get to the next section. So... Um, when you fight the first boss, basically then you leave that area of the temple and you have to go run it again. And when you run it again, then you can actually access the second boss. Once you beat the second boss, it takes you out. Then you run it again. You can access the third boss, so on and so forth. And there's actually three paths you can take. So you can take, I guess they'd be split up into the health path, the damage path and the perception path. But the damage and like the... The way they act doesn't really have anything to do with the um the stat boost you get. So, like with Dead Cells, it splits up your stats into three stats: health, damage, or deck. It what's it called? I don't I think. Uh, constitution, uh, which is health, dexterity, which is damage, and then perception, which which is drops. Now the colors align with Dead Cells, but the colors have nothing to do with the the Dead Cells um style of handling um damage upgrades, where you have, like, red weapons, blue weapons, and green weapons. Every single weapon scales off of dexterity, which is your damage stat. So, it's just using the same colors. It's not actually the, the exact same system. The reason why I describe it partially as, like, Dead Cells, uh, or Dead Cells crossed with Hades, is because it's got the sort of, the Hades style of combat, 
but you don't just you don't just get one weapon at the start and then go all the way to the end with that one weapon. You actually can pick and choose weapons you go throughout the the temple. So you might run across a room that gives you a new weapon, or maybe an enemy will drop a new weapon, and you can just replace your current weapon uh, with with whatever you find, whether it's like a a whip or a dagger. Uh, different weapons have different slots, so you can't have like two whips, for example. Whips are always going to be a secondary weapon. Uh, that is one of the things that does differ from uh, from Dead Cells, where you can have you can literally run around with two whips if you really want to, um, or like you like a lot of really dumb builds you can do with uh, Dead Cells. But where's it going with this? The big difference it has between both those games, though, is you actually have a... So, firstly, you have a finisher mechanic. So, the final hit in all your combos is always going to be, firstly, a different animation, but also a way stronger attack. And there's actually a lot of weapons that have effects attached to that finisher, like... Uh, when you do your finisher, then you will do a, uh, the, the enemy will start burning or something like that. So you can also com like combine those finishes. So you can be like, I'm going to attack twice with my main weapon and then once with my secondary weapon. And that will actually do the first two attacks with your main and then the finisher for your secondary. So when you swap weapons, like in the middle of a combo, the second weapon you like the oh, the weapon you swap to is always going to be a finisher. So it's a way to get a finisher earlier in a combo. Sometimes you might not want that. Sometimes you might want to string out the combo uh, longer to get like maybe have the enemy flinch longer or something like that. But there are it sort of depends on the scenario you're in. Maybe the enemy is gonna die like in three more hits with the combo but one hit with the finisher. So if you end the combo now, do the finisher early, the enemy actually uh, the enemy will die quicker. Now, I mentioned the stamina system. So at the start of the game, you have, I think it's five stamina. Yeah, five stamina. So you have five stamina. This stamina will recover, I don't know the exact timing, but it will recover when you're not doing actions like attacking or dodge rolling. So attacking you can do without having any stamina. So, the only thing you can't do when you have no stamina is dodge rolling and also, also your finishers. Finishers require at least one point of stamina. So, you always want to make sure you have stamina. Otherwise, if something happens, you just won't be able to dodge out of the way. It's kind of annoying to worry about managing it, but it does add, it does add sort of an extra thing to worry about that does sort of keep the combat kind of interesting. Some people describe this as, like, a slower version of Hades. I think in some ways that's fair, but the combat being slow is really only a factor of how bad you are at the game. So when you kill an enemy, uh, you gain one point of stamina. When you parry an enemy, you gain one point of stamina. When you dodge an enemy's attack... Actually, no, I think you might gain two points of stamina when you parry. When you dodge an enemy's attack at the last moment, you gain one point of stamina. So, as long as you're keeping up this chain of killing stuff and dodging and par mainly parrying, um, dodging, uh, killing stuff and parrying, then you can keep the game actually pretty fast-paced. I, th I think it's definitely fair to call it slower than Hades is, um, but not by much. It's not like, you know, you're going from, from Hades to Dark Souls, 
Uh, it's more like, you know, you're going from Hades to being a bad Hades player. Like, that's that's sort of the speed difference you actually have. Also, when you parry an enemy, um, they will basically be... I think it's called weakness. I think that's what they call it. Uh, they will basically take extra damage. So for, I think it's like two or three seconds, they will be able to take extra damage from your hits. Uh, and it's sort of expected that you abuse that mechanic and get in as much damage as possible. Now, the other similarity it has with Dead Cells is when you finish... Uh, I think it's when you finish 1 BC? I think it's 1 BC. Uh, you can unlock weapon tubes. I think... Someone correct me if I'm wrong on the point, but anyway, you can unlock weapon tubes in Dead Cells where you can choose you want to have this set of weapons or that set of weapons. Basically, every time you start your run, it is a different random set of weapons. This game also has the exact same thing. It's not weapon tubes, but there is a table that has four we oh, two weapons on it by default, uh, three weapons if you unlock your heavy weapon as one of the rolls, and there's a maximum of four tables. So it sort of gives you the ability to pick what weapon you want to start the run with, or you can just start with the basic weapon, which is a sword and a gun. The gun's actually pretty good. Um, so every weapon has a charge attack as well. So, uh, swords are you, I think swords are, I think it's like a big swing or something. Uh, daggers, you charge the enemy and then you do a big stab in them. Guns have a thing called perfect shot where basically it just does more damage. Um, whips have a spinning attack. The spinning attack is, wait, did I say whips have a spinning attack? No, whips, whips have a, a like a, a whip, a, you, you lasso something. That's what their, um... Their charge attack is their finisher as a spin attack. Um, but most of the time, charge attacks don't really matter. Uh, they, can, they can be useful in some situations, like if you have a whip, for example, bringing an enemy closer to you. Charge attacks with a gun can be pretty good as well. Dagger, uh, sometimes not really from my experience, and... Swords, if the sword has, like, a bonus on charge attack, then maybe. Uh, there's also... Actually, there's also knives. Knives are fun. Um, like, throwing knives. That, when you do the charge attack for that one, it will basically just shoot out four knives in, like, directions around you. Um, shields are a basic shield bash. Nothing too crazy. Um, some of the fun... I think some of the most fun weapons are actually these, uh... The two-handed weapons, though. So you get a big-ass hammer. You get a you get a spear. The spear's not that fun. It's a spear. You get a bow, which is just a worse gun. Um, where it gets fun, though, is with the explosives. So the basic attack with the explosive is you throw an explosive, which can't damage you, which is also good, uh, because you can't actually move towards the explosive when it does the, uh, the, the throw, which is great. I love it. It makes it so much fun because I hate games that have explosives that actually damage the player. And my camera cut out for just a moment. Um, so the basic attack is a single throw, but the charge attack throws out three bombs. Now, because these bombs throw out in a radius, you can actually target it like so. I'll target it like... A enemy is in two of these circles at once, doing a double damage. And I think that's the intended... I think it's intended for room clear. But it's actually really powerful for just single enemies as well. Um, but when it does come to the, like the, the two-handed weapon, most of them don't matter. The only two-handed weapons that matter in the game and should ever be used are hammers and explosives. 
So these are counted as heavy weapons. There might be another type, but you, don't, you never want to take a bow. You never want to take a spear. Both those are completely useless. So the reason why you want to have a heavy weapon is because as you go throughout the level, you'll notice there's going to be these walls that have a crack in them. And those walls might have bonus money. They might have a different path you can take. Things like that. So having a heavy weapon in your, your two-handed slot basically lets you open up those walls. Now, there are other ways to open up those walls because uh, traps can blow them up. Like, there might be an explosive barrel near it, or maybe there's a like a, a trap that will shoot out a fireball, and things like that will be able to damage the wall as well. Um, I didn't mention traps yet, did I? So... Traps are really interesting in this game. Unlike a lot of these games where, yes, the environment can damage enemies, and yeah, you, you can take advantage of in some situations, in this game, it's very much encouraged. So because the enemies tend to move considerably slower than they do in a game like Hades or Dead Cells, if you set off an explosive barrel and the enemies are within that range, unless that enemy can teleport, which some of them can, they're going to be hit by the barrel. And a lot of the weaker enemies will die straight away. The bigger ones, like there's a big dude that has a, like a big axe. He won't, obviously, because he's a tougher enemy. Um, but like the little grunt enemies, usually they're going to die in one hit. Or take some severe damage and you can finish them off pretty damn quickly. Um, and you actually want to... Here's one of the other things that makes it like... Sort of takes away from the idea that this game is a slow-paced game. So, when you kill stuff quickly, or you make sure you're keeping up your attack combo, there is a system known as greed. Basically, the idea is, is no, it's called greed, but there's no downside to it. Like, it's only going to make your experience better if you manage to do it well. So, basically, greed is as you build up your greed gauge, killing things drops more money. Like, there's no reason to not be doing that. So, you might kill, like, 10 things in a row and have, like, a greed gauge of... I think it'd be, like, 500% extra money or something like that. And it will expire very quickly, but as you keep doing that, you just gain more and more and more money. And money's very important. So, I didn't mention, the, like... I still have not mentioned, like, two main, sort of, aspects of this game. The curses and, uh... And... The, uh, yeah, actually mainly the, cur the curses and also the lighting system. So, a lot of games have a lighting system basically there as a way to make the game more convenient for the player. So they can actually see stuff and all of that fun stuff. This game actually makes lighting a core mechanic of the game. So, always on your screen in the bottom center, there's going to be a little symbol that either is yellow to mean the room's lit up, or purple-ishy if the room is dark. Um, now, when a room is dark, you cannot see traps. So the only traps you can see are the traps that will be like explosives, but you won't be able to see spikes on the ground, for example. Uh, and I'm sure there are other traps that I haven't come across yet. Oh, uh, there's also these little landmines you won't be able to see either. Um, so basically, any of the proximity traps you won't be able to see, except the big heads that shoot fireballs. Um, because, obviously, the, it shoots a fireball. You can see it anyway. Um, so basically... Oh, the other thing is, when the room's dark, you also take bonus damage. So your intention, unless you have a build that is specifically built around darkness, is to always keep the room lit up in some way. So you can either use your torch that you always have with you. That's always going to be bound to the A button. There's no way to get rid of your torch. 
and then around most rooms, there's going to be these little, um, these little, uh, I guess, altar things you can light. Also, you can light up enemies. So you can actually light an enemy on fire and then use the enemy as a light source. This is a really cool mechanic because there are also weapons that do bonus damage to flaming enemies and things like that. Um, so that's the lighting mechanic. Lighting is a core integral part of this game and you want to typically make sure you are in the light. But you can't always be in the light because of the curse system. The curse system is really, really cool. I don't always like the final curse, um, but besides the final curse, it's it's typically pretty good. So basically you can take up to five curses. You don't control what the curses are, the game will just give them to you. So at the bottom of your screen in the bottom right hand corner, there is going to be a purple curse gauge. When that curse gauge fills up, you'll be given a curse. Now this fills up by either taking um, damage from enemies that do corruption damage or by going into a new room. So every time you go into a new room, uh, unless you have an ability that uh, will lower the amount of corruption you get, you're going to get 20 corruption added to that gauge. So, basically, when that gauge fills up, you'll be given a curse. The curses aren't always inherently bad. So you might get a curse that's like, oh, it makes, um, you know, explosive barrels have a bigger range, which might seem bad, but that also counts for doing damage to the enemies. So that actually could be a, a benefit. But there's also ones like, oh, um, every time you enter a room, you're going to be charged 300 gold. But upon entering the room, if you manage to pay that gold, you'll actually get a 10% health recovery. So like usually the curses have like a, a drawback, but also something, something that adds to them as well. Um... But then the fifth curse is always going to be a bad curse. So one of the curses you might get is uh, you just continuously take damage until you fall down to 1% health. Uh, sorry, not 1%, um, 1 health. Now, there's not really any way to avoid getting all five curses in the longer runs. So from my experience, getting five curses in the two-boss run is pretty difficult. So when you go to a healing room, uh, to get healed, it's going to cost you curse uh, or corruption. Um, you can also pay corruption if you don't want to pay a vendor gold to like buy a new weapon or buy an upgrade or buy a stat upgrade, things like that. But if you have the gold, usually using the gold is a better choice to go with. Um, but once you get all five curses or you get any number of curses, that doesn't mean it's the end. There are a couple of ways to get rid of curses. Uh, one of those is by getting one of the unique weapons, I think they're called. Um, these can be obtained from fighting a... I think it... Is it called a curse chest? Now, I'm going to show you something um, that is going to surprise you if you've played, curse, um, played Dead Cells. Curse of the Dead Gods. Cursed... Oh, they're called cursed weapons. Yeah. They're called cursed weapons, not unique weapons. Um... Yeah, it's... Okay, it's... I think it's actually supposed to be... Yeah, it's supposed to be a Dead Cells, um... Crossover. Okay, that makes sense. So, it's literally just a... A Dead Cells curse chest. Um... With that update also came things that are evil. Like, um... Uh, the sword that gets you killed in one hit. 
Um, <laughs> which is terrifying. I don't want anything to do with that. But if you, uh, if you go and, um, what's the word? Finish one of these cursed chests. Then if you don't want the weapon, you can always sell the weapon and then you'll get a, uh, a curse removed. Um, curse chests are actually a lot safer in this game than they are in dead cells. Where in dead cells, once you activated the chest, if you took a hit, you would die. You would just die completely. In Curse of the Dead Gods, uh, you still have to kill a number of enemies. But if you get hit by one, then you don't die. It's just the uh, chance of getting the reward completely disappears. So it's not a run-ender anymore. From my experience... Um, it's just a good idea to run curse chests if they're an option. There's, from, like, you're paying one hit for the chance at losing a curse. Like, there's no reason to not do that. It's just, it's basically a free chance at an amazing item. Or just a curse removal. And uh, now, obviously, curse chests aren't going to be in every single run. Uh, but there is a separate option you have. That is, every time you defeat a boss, you have the option to replace, or not replace, uh, remove one of your curses. And that's pretty much the, that's pretty much what you've got. I don't know if there's anything else. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think there's anything else. I think it's just selling cursed items and uh, defeating bosses. So... On the third boss and further, you're pretty much going to be stuck getting a uh, getting something corrupted. Oh, there is one other method. So sometimes well, weapons are going to have effects on them. Sometimes you can find weapons that are like every time an enemy dies, lose plus or lose two corruption, or lose three corruption, or you could find a relic where if you I don't know, build up your greed meter, you lose corruption instead, or something like that. I don't know if that exists, but there are ways to lower your corruption. But I believe if you lower your corruption like that, you don't actually lose a curse. Um, but it is a good way to make sure you don't have your corruption gauge actually being um, massively built up over time. I've only had to deal with the the final curse twice so far, and both times it's been pretty difficult. The second time, not because the curse was the problem, but because at the third boss, the game just gets considerably harder. So basically the what happens is the first boss is a joke. If you die to the first boss, um, you've probably never played a video game before because the, the first boss is genuinely genuinely easy now the second boss is a bit harder uh second boss in all the areas is a bit harder but i would say the the hardest one probably is probably is the blue part blue or green path whichever one can corrupt you when you fight that boss uh when the route ends at that boss it doesn't oh no sorry the one no, it's green. Green's the hardest, I would say. Blue blue just throws explosives at you. That's not too bad. Green, I think, was the worst one, if I remember correctly. But I might be remembering wrong. Um, anyway, all of those bosses are still very easy compared to the third boss. The third boss on the Constitution route has so much fucking health that I don't know how you're supposed to defeat it. Because it hits like a fucking truck, and it has just an enormous amount of health. 
it's actually way, way harder than the previous two bosses. It feels like... It feels like they just missed a difficulty step in there somewhere. And like, oh, enjoy this boss. Have fun just absolutely suffering through it. Um, but... I think I think it's still... I think it's still fun. I think one of the problems this game has, though... It's a problem, right? I think it's a problem for its difficulty. I think you could tone down the end, like the further game difficulty, if you raised up the early game by just lowering your health pool. So you start the game with a thousand health. Now, a thousand health is a lot. This would be like starting Hades. Actually, what is the Hades starting health? Um, Hades starting health. I think it's like. 50. Yeah, 50. This would be like starting Hades with like... I think maybe 400. <laughs> like, it's so much extra health that it doesn't even become a problem until the third area. I think this game would be much harder and much harder earlier on if you started the game with probably 5... I think 500 would be reasonable. 500, I think that would make the game more difficult without it being, like, unfairly difficult. Obviously, you'd have to tone down how much damage the third boss does so it doesn't do 450 anymore. Um, but I think 500 would make more sense. Um, but that's just me. Maybe maybe it's difficult enough for other people. I'm just getting better at this genre. But at least from... Like, I still feel like Hades without any mods is difficult. Like, it, I can get through an entire run no trouble, but I still feel like there's at least some challenge there. Curse the Dead Gods up until second boss, unless I'm streaming, no challenge whatsoever. And first boss, there's never a challenge. First boss is always just an absolute, absolute meme. Um, but I want to talk about the, the one thing that I... Oh, sorry, the biggest thing that I don't like about this game. Overall, it's a very good game. But the biggest thing I don't like is that the enemies have collision boxes. So in both Hades and Dead Cells, you can run through the enemies. This is like this is a good idea because it stops you being able to get trapped in a corner. And it's a good idea in most games that have a uh, have it available. I like the idea of just being able to phase through enemies or have some way to get through them. Curse the dead gods, though. Yes, you can knock enemies back with a hammer or with explosives, and you can go and, like, um, attack them away through other means to get through, but if you don't attack them, you cannot walk through them. So you can be in a situation where you have enemies surrounding you, and basically you just get pummeled to death. It is more realistic. Yeah, sure, absolutely. But I don't think realism is always the best thing that a game should have. Or the, uh, the optimal thing for a game to have. I think sometimes throwing away realism just for improved usability would be better. Because it's not like it makes the game harder. Like, there's not been any times when I've died because I've been body blocked. It just makes the game more tedious. Like, I can always get out of those situations. But because most of the games I play don't have that, it's still a pain. And if you are going to do body blocking, at least body block the way that Ender Lilies does. So Ender Lilies, it doesn't have body blocking, 
but if you touch an enemy with your body, you take damage. I think that's reasonable and makes the game make sense with that game. I don't know if it makes sense in Curse of the Dead Gods because in Ender Lilies, um, when an enemy touches, you can actually block that. Uh, you can't obviously block that here because, you know, body blocking. Um, but I think in this game, it would be too much of a pain if enemies could attack you like that, especially because Ender Lilies genuinely is a much, much slower game. Obviously, there are bosses like uh, the dude who swings at you with his big claw arms, or I don't remember the name of, who can fucking almost one-shot pe uh, people in most situations. Um, but apart from him, it's genuinely a slower game. So body blocking in that, like even body blocking with, um, with just getting damaged isn't as big of a deal from what I can tell. I spent about... I think that's pretty much everything I want to say about this, but I spent about half an hour effectively reviewing Curse of the Dead Gods. So my conclusion here is I think Curse of the Dead Gods is a really good game. I do not know if, like Hades and like uh, Dead Cells, there is, like, a difficulty system after you finish the, like, the beat the, the final boss once. If there's not, this game has basically no content. If there is, I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing, and will actually give the game some uh, some level of longevity. The other nice thing this has is because this game doesn't really have, like, any obvious lore, it's like Dark Souls-y lore where it's told through item descriptions, it's pretty easy to add in new areas if the, <clears throat> like, if the devs really want to. Like, Hades, it's obviously more difficult because you have this set-out layer of, um, of the underworld. You can still add stuff, but it's a bit harder. Dead Cells, it also doesn't matter because, you know, it's Dead Cells. It's this made-up world anyway. Um, but because Curse of the Dead Gods really doesn't give you anything lore-wise, it would be cool if more areas are actually added, like, further into the game's life cycle because this game's only been a full release for about a year now so it's it's still fairly new and i i really hope it actually has longevity unlike hades where hades just never had new content added to it so once you get to end game basically all you're doing is just making the game harder like you've got every weapon You've got every, you've done every area like 70 times already you know how all the enemies attack and yeah, it, it gets it gets kind of boring at some point. Um, I hope this game doesn't fall, uh, fall into that problem. Even though this game has a lot more weapons, it doesn't have more weapon variety. So each weapon class, like daggers, bows, uh, knives, swords, anything like that, they all have the same animation as every other weapon in that class. So every sword attacks like a sword. Every throwing knife attacks like a throwing knife. Basically, the way to think of other weapons is other weapons are basically a weapon with different effects. So there's one dagger in this game, and sometimes that dagger has poison. Sometimes that dagger has fire. Sometimes that dagger does bonus crit damage. All of that fun stuff. So let's move on from Curse of the Dead Gods to another game I obviously play a lot. That being Final Fantasy XIV. So, my main focus over the past week has been on crafting and gathering. So, I believe I had most of my craft... I, I, I've got most of the crafting classes unlocked. So, right now, I have Goldsmith, um, Weaver... There was another one. 
Alchemist. Yes. So there's still a bunch of others that I still need to do. So I've got the uh, the Uldar crafters available. Um, I've got both um, Weaver and Goldsmith to 50 now. But I've also been working on some of my gatherers as well. So my Botanist is at 43, I think. Miner is at 50. Um, and I haven't touched my fisher in a while so that needs to be uh me needs to be done at some point but i think i wasn't like 33 so my main focus has been on like trying to get crafting up to the end of um end of Rome reborn i don't know if i'll do it with all of the other crafters uh for a while but maybe it'll happen at some point so what i've realized is a lot of early crafting just doesn't matter in the market so, crafting early game is basically just a money sink. Maybe back when, like, when Realm Reborn was actually, like, current content, I imagine people probably bought Realm Reborn, uh, like, gear and stuff, and Realm Reborn jewelry and all of that fun stuff. Nowadays, though, below level 45, no one really touches it. Like, there's a couple of things that sell, uh, in the jewelry market at least, because when it comes to jewellery, jewellery isn't that big. Like, if you're not using it for combat, it's not really that big in glamour. Because you don't really notice the jewellery that much. Most things are going to be perfectly fine. Um, as long as it's not something that, like, really stands out. Like, you're wearing a completely blue outfit and you have, like, uh, ruby earrings on, for example. But... Most of that is garbage. Where you actually get money... Like, okay, I'm going to give you some advice, right? If you want to make money in Realm Reborn as a crafter, the best way to do it is as a weaver. Like, a weaver, at least if you're doing crafting stuff, the weaver makes so much money because there are a couple of items that are really, really big for glamour. This is where weaver shines compared to... Uh, compared to the goldsmith, and compa especially compared to alchemist. No one gives a shit about Realm Reborn potions. Like, none of them are useful. No one gives a shit about Realm Reborn food as a culinarian. None of them are useful. Uh, Armourer might actually be the same in this regard, but there are some items that are really... They're good-looking items. So, two of those that I've been making... Um, that would be the... Uh, let me show you. FF... 14 uh patrician set so the patrician set is the it is the generic level 50 crafting gear so it looks like uh is that the whole set no that's not the whole set i don't care about the coat the coat okay coat does sell fairly well as well uh i should bring up the coat so this is the coat now, you may not see why it's super popular, but this is useful if you want to do some, like, RP stuff as, like, uh, you're, I don't know, running some business or something like that. Also, like, the male version looks pretty good as well. Uh, this sort of fits in, like, a, um, you know, a, like, a sort of, I don't know, what's the word? You want to have a businessy media. I don't know what fucking RPers do. Anyway, it looks good and RPers want it. And also people who just like glamour want it as well. It's very cheap to make. Uh, undyed felt is pretty easy to get. 
it requires rock salt and effervescent water, I believe. Sorry, no, I'm thinking of something else. That's natron. Uh, natron requires, um, yeah, rock salt and effervescent water. Both these, you can buy rock salt, effervescent water, you can mine at like level five. Uh, Snurble Tufts sell on the market board pretty cheap. Fleece also sells really, really cheap as well. So getting the felt's really easy. Uh, woolen yarn and uh, linen yarn. Uh, woolen yarn's made from fleece. Linen yarn is made from pretty cheap items as well. I don't remember the exact uh, required. Oh, it's made from flax. Flax sells for like 50 gil a piece. So getting all of that is pretty easy. Electrum ingots, that's probably the most expensive thing. Um, but if, like me, you level up mining, uh, Electrum is a level 45 or, uh, or I believe an ingot requires four pieces of Electrum. Um, so if you buy Electrum from, yes, yeah, four. So if you buy Electrum from the market board, at least on my server, uh, it's about 1600 gil for the, um, Electrum ingot. I would say total, total, uh, gil cost if you're buying it on my server is probably in the range of 2,000, maybe 2,500 gil at the absolute highest. And the uh, Patrician Coat sells for about 2,800. Um, but the one that sells also really well is the Patrician Bottoms. Now, you're going to see exactly why Patrician Bottoms sell really well. Uh, FFXIV... No, I don't want that. Show me it on an actual character. So on Gamer Escape. Show me the money. Here we go. Uh, male character, it doesn't look great on. Female character, though. Now you can see why people actually use this. Pretty boring male Honestly, a lot of things are boring male characters. But, like, now you can see why the people who care about glamour care about buying these. These have basically the same requirements. I think it's actually less resources. Um, and these sell... F yeah, it is slightly less. It, it requires one less felt. Um, these sell for about 2200 on my server. Uh, obviously, you want to always be selling them as high quality. Otherwise, you're just having a harder time selling them. Uh, but there's, there's other items that you unlock around level 50 uh, that also sell really well as well. Um, FFXIV White Beret. Now, unlike a lot of the other berets, this one, uh, this one really stands out. Also, it dies really well. Um, so let's see. Here we go. So a lot of the other berets have, like, a feather on them and all of that fun stuff. The White Beret, though, this has a little, a little, little... What, do you, what would you even call it? I don't know what you call it. It's got a little uh, fluff ball on it. So this obviously fits with any sort of like winter, wintery theme um, glamour you might have. And as I said, it dies really well as well. So here's a random glamour that I found. Uh, images. Here we go. Here's one. Looks really good. Here's a Christmassy one. Like, as you can see, obviously, if you're going for a Christmas glamour, this works really, really well. Uh, it fits with, honestly, a lot of outfits. As I said, it, it dies really, really well. 
Um, but, you know, there are... It's mainly winter situations you'd want to use. And honestly, that's the shitload of uh, Christmas pictures here. There are things outside of Christmas stuff as well where it just works really well as well. Um, but yeah, those three items all sell really well on my server. Um, I don't know if the White Beret is going to sell as well outside of um, outside of the winter seasons. It might. Um, I'm not too sure. Maybe people want to still uh, wear their, their winter glamour in the middle of summer, but... Especially right now, winter like winter themed glamour is selling really well. What you gotta do if you wanna make money as a weaver, and I guess the same would be as an armorer as well, is get into the mind of people that care about glamour. Like, you're not gonna be sell like especially level 50, you're not gonna be selling items based on their like their gear usage. No one gives a shit about that. Like no one cares about Rum Reborn gear. Uh, you're going to get better gear in, like, two levels anyway when you start getting the Heaven's Ward stuff. Uh, maybe in... Like, Endwalker would care. Like, it would matter because a lot of people aren't going to be doing, like, high-end raiding but still want better gear. And the way you're going to get better gear is either crafting or high-end raiding. So, crafting is it, it is then. Um, but you're to get into the mind of people that care about glamour. Like, what sort of sets would someone want to actually use? Like, there's a couple of really cool uh, cloaks, for example. Um, uh, I think it's this. Strike. I think it's the Jacket of Striking. Yes. Yeah, this is the one. Um, I'm pretty sure it's this one. Yeah, yeah, this is it. This one right here. You'll see a lot of samurais using this. Uh, I'll see if I can find a picture of a glamour using it, actually. Um... Oh, it's actually... A... Is this a monk? Yeah, this is a monk. Also works for a monk as well. Um... Like, this is a really cool bit of gear. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the same cloak. Uh... Yeah, yeah, that's... That's the uh, the jacket of striking, um, dyed in ruby red. Like as you can see, like this is a really cool bit of gear, and I for the samurais they usually combine that with um, with the there's a there's a hakama you can get as well. Uh, I forgot what what it's called. Um, not the one. It's not one of the ones you have to buy from the the gear store uh, from the gears from the 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 mog shop um is the yeah yeah here we go so uh it is the rakshasa hakama of striking that is a level 70 item to craft but um if you can sell part of that set people are going to People are very much going to to buy it, especially because you know Final Fantasy is a weeb game. So if you sell weeb stuff, people are going to be happy. But the true crafter endgame is understanding what people care about for glamour. If you understand that, all of the money will come to you. Especially if you find items on your server that aren't really being fulfilled that well. Like on my server, for example, there's two people that make patrician bottoms and they sell like 
five a day. That, like, at my at my range, like, a couple hundred thousand gil uh, is, is, like, that's a, a lot of gil. Like, that's, that's an absolute ton. Obviously, later in the game is a bit different, but right now where I'm at, that is an absolute ton of gil. And stuff like, like, if you can work out what's going to get you that gil, um... That that's that's I think the best way to approach it. Who cares about like oh you know in older patches you could buy coke and sell coke. That was that was a good way to make money. But like if you want something that's a bit more like consistent, rather than looking for like the one thing that sells well, find find the glamour items that people care about and then worry about them. Um, but speaking of like buying and selling stuff, I've also realised that. A lot of people in FF14 have no idea how to maintain a, like, a functioning economy. I don't know if I still have the picture here. Uh, actually, it should be on my Twitter. So, <laughs> the way the market board works is uh, every single item is going to be listed in um, higher, oh, sorry, lowest to highest cost. So, lowest cost is always going to be at the top. So, typically... Um, what you'd want to do is, if you care about a, a, a healthy market, you would undercut whoever's at the top by one. A lot of people get very angry at that because they're like, oh, no, I, I don't like you undercutting by by one. You should undercut by 10% or you should undercut by 20% because that's giving your, your, your buyers like an actual discount. I don't care about that. I want to mean I want to make sure everyone's actually making money and the best way to make money is to keep the prices as high as possible. So I will undercut by one. Now, you don't have to undercut by one or undercut at all if you're selling against yourself. So if you're the only person on the market board or maybe you have like eight items that are all listed above whoever uh, anyone else on the market board is, you don't have to undercut the prices because all of your stuff is going to be listed at the same level, and because they're all your items, it doesn't matter which one someone buys, it's still going to be selling, and you're still going to make money. So, there was some idiot on my, uh, on my server. Um, I'm almost certain I posted it on the Twitter. Yes. Uh, yeah, here it is. Where... <laughs> These are... This is another set of... The other, another part of the Patrician set, which doesn't sell as well, but it still does sell... It, does, it still does sell fairly well. Uh, the Patrician's Gators. Uh, these are the Patrician Shoes. Now, Rough Talia, 16,500. Rough Talia, 18,000. Rough Talia, 19,000. Rough Talia, 20,000. This person just bought up... Or actually, and you can see all of it, I guess. Mo you can see most of it, at least. Um, this person bought up... Oh, not bought up. They made all these items and then lowered the price against themselves. So what should have happened here is this person should have listed all of these items at 22,000 because there's no reason to drop them if you're the only person in the market. So what I did is I came in, I bought all these items, and then I relisted them. I just I took the items, relisted them at a higher price, and uh, made some money off of them. Uh, if you're going to be done with the market, I am going to abuse the fact that you're an idiot and uh, make some money off of you. Obviously, you're going to make money from it as well, but I'm going to make more money, and that's what is important to me. <laughs> but, like, you'll if you go onto the, um, the Final Fantasy forums, you'll find people actually arguing about, like, how much you should undercut by. Um, 
And I don't know why, like, why people actually argue about it. Like, I honestly, the only sensible way to handle this is undercutting by one. Like, you'll actually find people like, oh, thoughts on people who undercut by one. And are there any ways to troll them? Like, just, do you know what you can, like, here's what you do, okay, if someone undercuts by one, right? You undercut them again by one. Here's the funny thing. When someone undercuts, like, so I'll undercut by one, right? Someone will then come in undercut by, like, 10%. I'm still going to undercut you by one. Like, nothing has changed here. All that has changed is now we are both just making less money. Like, I don't understand the per like the, the, the mindset you have to go through to be like, yes, undercut by as much as possible to lower the price as far as you can. With, like, high pop items, um, like, like the uh, Patrician set, it's not a big deal. Because usually what happens is the idiots who are, like, trying to crash the price get bought out pretty quickly. And then the price goes back up to where it should be. Um, with less pop items, uh, or items that have a lot of sellers, um, you will see market forces pushing the, the, the prices down. Um, but the people who just drive the prices down for the sake of driving the prices down, I really don't understand. This is why it's important to have more than more than one item that you are worrying about. Like if you are just if you're just worrying about one item, um, and someone comes in and undercuts it to the like, absolute floor and just keeps the price down there, uh, you're just gonna be screwed. But if you have multiple items and someone some idiot comes in and does that, you can always jump around and deal with stuff like that. Like, if someone messes around with my white berets and my patrician gate, uh, my patrician coats, I'll just find somewhere else. It seems like the people who are actually dealing with uh, patrician's coats, though, all have this, like, mutual respect amongst, amongst each other. Like, you can see the people who actually respect the other crafters on the market board, because all of them are going to be, like, undercut by one, undercut by one. Like, we just move back and forth. Maybe they sell, maybe I sell. Someone's going to sell, but... We all know the best thing for all of us is keep the price as high as possible. Obviously, you want to keep it at a, a value that someone's actually going to pay for it. Like, for example, um, someone the other day bought out the entire market board of uh, Black Lip Pearls. Now, Black Lip Pearls, I need for a quest. Uh, I need to make, like, a Black Pearl ring. Um, normally, Black Pearl Lips, or Black Lip Pearls, sorry, sell for 500 gil. Someone bought out the entire market board, then someone else came in and started selling them for 50,000 gil. Now, that's a ridiculous price, and nobody's ever going to pay for it. If you actually want to push the price up for something like that, pushing it up to, like, I would have perfectly been happy to pay 2,000 gil, or, like, 2,000 gil per, um, per black lip, uh, black lip pearl. That would have been fine by me. Trying to draw, like, I don't understand why you'd, like, throw it up so high that nobody would ever pay it. Like, the, th the nice thing about Final Fantasy is there's usually other things you can do. Like, if there's a quest you need to do where you need some specific item, you just not do the quest and, like, do something else for the next week until that person gets bored and, like, there's an actual decent seller on the market. Like, you can always... You can always just do other things, and that's that's usually what I've been doing. Um, it's also worth noting that a lot of the time you'll see um, you'll see like high cost items that seem like they 
they should be selling well. Like judging by um judging by how many items are actually selling. But what's also important is understanding the like the amount of an item you're actually selling. So unlike a game like RuneScape, where you'd put in an order for like maybe I wanna buy or I actually I wanna buy like five items. Instead of that, you look at the market board and you see the listing. So there might be one uh, one order that's selling one item, one order selling 99 items, one order selling 20 items. It's important to understand how the item's actually going to be used. So something like Electrum, for example. So Electrum is a, it's a tier, uh, tier ore, it's a tier ingot. Uh, all of, like there's a massive set of gear that is made with Electrum. So if a crafter is going through trying to craft all of the Electrum items, selling 99 Electrum makes a lot of sense. Um, but when it's something where it's like, I need one of these items, selling a stack of 99 doesn't really make any sense. You're pretty much all you're doing is you're just selling or you're, you're hurting your chances of actually selling the item. You want to keep, you want to keep your stacks sort of lined up with what players actually need. Um, let's actually have a look at some of these, these some of these under things about undercutting. Um, undercutting bots are ruining the game's economy right now. They probably are if you have bots doing it, to be completely honest. Uh, people win something like Emery is worth 50k on the market. And the lowest price says 50,000 gil. You don't have to mark your price uh, down to 40 or 30k to entice people to buy yours first. You only need to mark it down by one gil and it will still be at the top of the list. Uh, this way you don't screw up the markets for, for yourself or anyone else. The next time you want to sell something at a higher price. Um, people will price what they feel like. Don't get me wrong. I'm a full... I'm a full believer in the one gill undercut, but you can't control what others will do. If it crashes, it's time to move to another market. Yeah, this is the, the biggest thing. If you can find a market where everybody in it is respectful of the other people in the market, you can absolutely be in that for a while. But this, there are morons who, uh, who will just crash the prices uh, as much as they feel like. But... The nice thing about morons who crash the price, as I said earlier, if you have the extra gill, buy them out and just sell their shit again. <laughs> I, like, back when I was, um, back when I was playing RuneScape a lot, I was, there was a time when I was really big into doing the whole trading thing. Like, playing the Grand Exchange, reading charts, finding out where prices are going, um, there was a big, there was a time when I was like, that was what I was really into. So now that I've discovered the market board and the market board is a lot more, it's a lot more manageable. That I think is also another, another big point about the, um, another big point about the market board. RuneScape, because it's a world grand exchange, it's selling with everybody like in the game. It's harder to sort of openly manipulate, you know, maybe it sounds bad, openly manipulate the market, but when you have a much smaller market board, it's pretty easy to buy out the market board in a lot of cases and just roll it back at a better price. Um, I'm not saying that you should be destroying markets like that, because in a lot of cases, if you do it wrong, you can get yourself burnt. Like, you buy out an item, you list it too high, and then by the time that people actually buy, like, 
by the time you actually have to lower your price to get people to buy it, you're now making less money than you would have bought. But if someone like openly undercuts by like a re- like a, a reasonable amount, and you know the item is actually worth more, just buy them out. Just get them off the market and just. Just sell them again and make money off of their stupidity. That, as I said, is, uh, that's the way I handle it. Oh, man. I'm not, I, I have not played, like, I have not played the MSQ in so long at this point. At some point, like, I will, you know, go and finish A Realm Reborn and start Heaven's Ward. Um, but, yeah, uh, not right now. One item I actually would like to sell, um, uh, what is it called? The Moonfire Halter. This is an item that sells for an absolute fucking metric ton. It's like, I think it's like a hundred thousand gil on a bad day. Um, this is the Moonfire Halter. Uh, this is the, obviously, like, this is only available for female characters. Um, there is also a male version of this, which sells for much less. Um, but the Moonfire Halter, the reason why the Moonfire Halter sells for so much money is because one, it looks really good, two, it dies really well, and three, it's one of the, uh, one of the very few bikinis that are available without going through the Mog Shop. Um, most of the bikinis are available through Mog Shop. There was a bikini that came out, uh, with an event years ago, but obviously because the old event at this point, you can no longer get it. And Square Enix is very aware that people uh, will pay money for a bikini, so uh, they don't add more into the game. Um, so this one retains its value very well. The problem with the 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 Moonfire Halter is the items that it requires to make it also cost basically as much as the fucking gear. So it requires three Marina Cotton Cloths, and Marina Cotton Cloths can only be obtained um, through treasure maps, so you have to get lucky that you get them, they sell for about 30k each, uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah, they, they, they're, they're a little bit expensive, so they're kind of hard to come by, I think the Moonfire hat also sells for quite a bit as well, um, it's like a, it's like a sailor hat, um, doesn't I don't think this one doesn't sell for anywhere near as much, but it definitely uh wait you can you even wear it as a where the fuck did the hat go you just got a picture of Vieira here where the hell's the hat can Vieira not wear it or does it just not appear on their head man if it doesn't appear on their head that that is an absolute scam <laughs> that's an absolute scam if you're playing a Vieira and you buy it um but uh yeah so. That's an item I would like to have, but it's just, it's just not going to ha- Or I'd like to be able to craft as well, it's just not going to happen. Um, one day, I would like to fill out my entire crafting log, but some items in there are just, they're just ludicrously difficult to craft. So, um, like in some, oh, not ludicrously, dif- ludicrously difficult, sometimes just ludicrously expensive. Um... And it's just not going to happen. Obviously, it'll happen at some point when I get to, like, a higher level. And then, uh, you know, 100k doesn't really matter. But, uh, as for right now, yeah, not going to happen. Uh, but you can actually see some pretty good, pretty good glamours with, uh, with the Moonfire Halter. Um, oi, where'd it go? So, here's one in here. 
Actually, wait, is this one in here? Yes, it is. Here's one in here where it's dyed uh, pure white. Like, this is a really cool looking set. Like, this is why it sells for so much, because, like, it is just genuinely, like, a good-looking piece of gear. I don't know why most people don't, um, don't bother dyeing it, though. Like, a lot of people seem to just use it as its, um, as its, uh, what's the word? As its base form. But yeah, I've been talking about crafting in Final Fantasy for a while, haven't I? <laughs> oh, Lord. Um... Let's see. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we'll move on from that. And I'll talk about some uh, some NFTs and some Linux stuff. Now, I just realized something. I wasn't showing it on the screen. But when you look up the Moonfire Halter on, uh, on, on Google Images or something like that, um, one of the results you get is a, uh, is a nude mod. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't show that on my screen, but I just, <laughs> I, just I just noticed that one, um, <laughs> just after I finished recording. Um, <laughs> it's fine. It's not on my screen. Yes, nude mods exist for Final, uh, Final Fantasy because, of course they do. Oh, actually, no, I was going to talk about something that's not Final Fantasy. Before we do that, though... There's a, a very important uh, item that was added in 6.05 that I need to mention. So 6.05 dropped the other day, and um, Square Enix straight up just said, you know what, ERPers, we respect you. Uh, we respect you, and uh, we think that you're, you should have better, you should have stuff in the game to help you out. Um, they added in a dance poll. Like, Straight up added in a stripper pole. Uh, I'll see if I can find... Uh, yeah, here we go. Here's, here's Mione showing it off. Um, Final Fantasy fourteen. <laughs> Final Fantasy fourteen. This is a video game. Um, now, because you don't have the ability to, uh, to actually interact with the pole, you can dance around it, but... The reason, like, because you don't have the ability to interact with the pole, the only thing the pole serves to do is using tools like G-Pose. G-Pose is the tool that lets you pose your character and take screenshots. Um, now you have a stripper pole. <laughs> now you have a stripper pole. Now you have a stripper pole so you can do stripper screenshots. Like, the fact there's no, like, emote to interact with it is telling me that Square Enix specifically added this for the G-Poses and for the ERPs. Like, that's the only reason this exists in the game. There's no other reason... Um, there's no other reason for this to actually be added. But you know what? This right here, exactly this right here, leads us into... <laughs> leads us into one of our other topics. Uh, I'm going to close that now. Um, leads us into one of our other topics. That being the whole metaverse nonsense going on right now. There is this weird... Like, I've been talking about this on Twitter a bit... But there is this weird idea that metaverses are, like, this new thing. Metaverses are, like, this new crazy thing that we've never had before. And Samsung's got their own, like... Samsung's got their own, like, weird metaverse thing there. They were showing off at CES. And it's just, like... You know what? This is just Second Life. This is just IMVU, 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 whatever it was called. Um, this is just Habbo Hotel 
Metaverses, no matter how much you want to push them, are not real. Uh, not real. Are not new. They've been around for a long time. And outside of just games that are designed to be like social games, Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy XIV is a metaverse. World of Warcraft is a metaverse. RuneScape is a metaverse. Every single MMORPG on the planet is a metaverse. Um, like, are you actually going to tell me that a game like Final Fantasy that has literal nightclubs is not a is not a fucking metaverse. Sure, the difference we have with the like the metaverses being pushed right now is that metaverses are this new VR and AR thing, and maybe they have crypto in them as well. But like this idea of meta um, of metaverses is not new is not new whatsoever, and I really don't know, like, how everyone has been conned into thinking metaverses are new. Is it just that corporate has never played a video game? Like, that's very likely. Is it just that nobody in corporate has ever, ever played a video game and has no idea that things like this have existed for such a long time? That is the only thing that, that like, makes sense in my head. That's the only way I can see this actually being, like, an idea that, you know, no, like, an idea that, I guess, people think is possibly new. It seems like a lot of people are starting to catch on, um... The Verge, for example, they were talking about Samsung's thing and literally described it as Second Life. So it seems like outside of the weird corporate space, people are starting to catch on to the fact that metaverses have been around for a long time. They haven't really got the like the whole way there. They're like, oh yes, yeah, Second Life and uh, IMVU and Habbo Hotel. But like every single MMORPG on the planet... I think you could rightly declare as a uh, as a metaverse. Some of them do it better. Like I think a game such as um, obviously Final Fantasy, but World of Warcraft, RuneScape, Elder Scrolls Online—you know, games that are good or at least were good at some point—and um, have people that actually have a a strong community in that game. Obviously, if if the game doesn't have a community, if the game is actually dead, like. I think you, you can't really call it a metaverse at that point. But if people are, you know, making nightclubs, they are, uh, you know, they're, they're creating these groups of fucking bards and having concerts. Like, there's actual concerts in Final Fantasy. I think we can call it a metaverse. Um, that's just my rant about metaverses. Let me just rant about crypto now. So... First part of that crypto rant is... um. What's my hair doing? Is, uh... <laughs> I love this. Uh, this one I, I laugh at. The second one we don't. Um, so two NFT copycats are fighting over which is the real fake Bored Ape Yacht Club. So Bored Apes, if in case you don't know, is this really stupid project where you buy pictures of poorly drawn apes for absurd amounts of money. Like, 
multiple tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars for really ugly art. Um, and there are two projects that are basically like, firstly, they've proven that NFTs are not non-fungible or like the images are not non-fungible because, you know, you can just make another NFT with it, which everyone already knew already. Uh, NFTs aren't non-fungible. It's just token, which is non-fungible. Um, I guess the, how would I describe? the image is not non-fungible. Like the thing, the thing that is not non-fungible is not the image. You can have a thousand NFTs of the exact same image that aren't like part of the same minting. You can have a thousand people not at all connected, just mint the, like mint an NFT on the exact same image. And it's going to supposedly give you the image because that's how that works. Um, so obviously that allows you to basically take another, another NFT collection and then just resell it because yes. And is this something that's ever going to be able to be removed? Um, or able to be stopped? No, no, because the reason why you can't stop it is because there's not going to be any way to stop someone downloading an image that is already on their computer. I've seen some people saying, oh, but when we have true Web3, you won't be able to just right-click and save the image because when it's Web3, like, that just won't be possible. Not really understanding, like, how computers actually function. Because the way it gets shown on your computer is you have to download it. So if it has been downloaded on your computer, there is always going to be a way to extract that image outside of the tool that has been used to actually access it. Unless you're going to say that everything just remains encrypted and somehow managed to do that. But even then, you can screenshot it. And that's that That right there is the, uh, the biggest killer. <laughs> I've never... I, I still cannot find a practical reason for NFTs. There are... There are reasons why you might want to use crypto, right? I think you can come up with legitimate reasons why crypto might make sense. NFTs, though, I can't see. Like, every single time someone gives me a reason why NFTs matter, I can explain to them why you can do that with traditional technologies. Like, I saw one, if we talked about this on the podcast, uh, someone explaining um, how you could use NFTs to, like, have a uh, have a ticket to an arena and... That ticket would be then, like, you could sell that ticket easily, or you could make it so that ticket couldn't be sold, or all of this fun stuff, like, things you can already do. Like, you can stop tickets from being sold by just requiring you to be ID'd, and if the ID doesn't line up with what's on the ticket, then the ticket isn't valid. Um, you can all, like, NFTs in games is another one, like, oh, you can now sell items in games, like, you mean a real money auction house? The thing that, like, Diablo 3 had. Like, real real money auction houses aren't new. You don't need NFTs. You don't need crypto to sell items in a game. Like, oh, you actually own it. Like, do you, though? Do you actually own it? Because your NFT of a skin in a game only matters while that game exists. When that game is gone, your NFT doesn't matter because you can't just take a skin from one game and put it in another game. But the NFT game stuff is like the tip of the iceberg for how stupid the NFT market is getting. So someone sent this to me during my uh, my live stream earlier today, and I almost had to stop the live stream because it 
Honestly, this is just getting ridiculous. So, do we remember the uh, the Stanley NFTs? So, the Stanley NFTs, which were basically someone took Stanley's face and then basically just made shitty NFT art with it, m- made different versions of it, like oh, with different versions of the hero and all that fun stuff. Now, this one is just it's equally as disgusting, to be honest. So. These are Etika NFTs. These are Etika punks. So someone is based... So here's what the tweet says for anyone listening. Uh, what you all have been waiting for, Etika NFTs. Commemorate the life of Etika, who sadly ended his own life with these, one of, uh, with these one-of-a-kind NFTs made by fellow fans of his. This is genuinely disgusting. Like, what you're doing right here is you are trying to profit off... Like, you're trying to profit off of someone's suicide. That's what you're doing. Like, the fact that anybody looks at this and thinks that this is something that is alright to do is genuinely disgusting. So, let's see how much they are selling for. Uh, oh my lord. Okay, so... Uh... 1.3 wrapped ETH. Uh, so, creator gets 10% of royalties, collection of rareable, yep, fun stuff. It's on Ethereum. Yeah, there's... You know, it, it would be different, right? If they made a... If they made a guarantee that all of the money was going to be going to, like, suicide prevention or something like that. That would be different. It would still be really fucking weird that... You're the one doing this, and then, and not the family is doing this. Because as it currently stands, what this is, is, like, it's just, it's just gross. Like, it's just genuinely gross. And luckily, luckily people on, on Twitter who saw this are calling us out, being like, no, just stop. Like, just, just stop. There are some people in here that aren't calling it out for what it is, but, like, things like this are going to get more popular. Are they going to get more prevalent? They're going to get more prevalent, and, like, I... So, in a weird way... Now, this is going to sound weird. I want projects like this to get more prevalent. Not because I want disgusting shit like this to actually exist. The reason why I want it to get more prevalent is to show just how fucking ridiculous the NFT market is. Things like this, like this is how you get normies interested in NFTs and you get normies realizing like how ridiculous this is. Normies are already starting to pay attention to the crypto market and are getting burnt by being in shitty meme projects. But stuff like this is how you actually, like, genuinely piss people off. Because I can think of a bunch of other people that exactly this could be done for that would have exactly the same response. People being like, what What are you doing? Actually, let's have a look at the, some of the quote tweets. Um, if there's hell you're going, we drag you in, not cool, disgusted. The deepest depths of hell aren't enough uh, for guys like you. This is the most disgusting thing I've ever laid my eyes on. It's good to see that most people are calling this out. But, like, 
the only good thing that comes out of projects like this is just showing off just how bad the crypto market is right now and how bad the idea of the NFT market is as it stands. There may be a future for NFTs, but the present the present needs to burn. The present needs to burn into the ground so we can build something better from its ashes. Things like this shouldn't be accepted by anyone, shouldn't be created, and honestly shouldn't, like, I hope that anyone who makes this just basically it's bullied out. Like, this is one of the cases where I think bullying is fine. If you make a project like this, you should be bullied out of the entire crypto space and no one should have anything to do with you. Like, this is just openly making money off of someone's death. And I I, I, I can't condone that. Like, it would be... Di- okay, it would be different if they... One thing... Okay, one way you could do this is selling them for literally nothing and then hard capping the price. Like, only having it so you're trading around these images. That is... That is different, right? That is completely different. But... You know what's going to happen with this. These are going to sell, and these are going to keep going up in price. I don't think it's going to ever be, like, a really big project, because anybody who's seen having one of these is going to get, like, fucking absolutely roasted. But these are going to go up in price. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they're selling for, like, 10 ETH. Like, that wouldn't... Like, that's not even that... Like, that that out of the... um, Or outside of the, the realm of possibilities. Um, But... Yeah, I hope that I hope that annoyed you as much as it annoyed me. Um, Etika NFTs, yay! Something more fun than that. Um, Gordon Ramsay becoming a Twitch streamer, possibly. Um, so for whatever reason, um, XQC likes to watch a lot of uh, a lot of Gordon Ramsay. Well, Gordon Ramsay's great. I love Gordon Ramsay, um, <coughs> and. Gordon Ramsay is trying to like find out about Twitch and XQC replies. I'll give you a rundown. Call me on my cell. America's next master streamer. Pause champ. Uh, you mean next level streamer. And then, yeah, now people are sort of, sort of speculating, um, that Gordon Ramsay is either going to become a Twitch streamer or, you know, do a collab with XQC. Um, Which, which, <laughs> honestly, would be genuinely hilarious. Like, I would actually love if that happens. Like, imagine, imagine Gordon Ramsay on Twitch trying to understand, just understand, firstly, Twitch culture, but also Twitch lingo. Like, people in his chat are going to be like, they're going to be spamming fucking PogChamp and he's going to be like, I have no idea what this means. <laughs> it would be, it would be kind of a funny experience and I I want to be there if that ever actually, uh, if that ever actually happens. Um, I don't know if it's just going to be like a, a it's going to remain a Twitter thing, but hey, I think it'd be a, it'd be a great way for them both to make a shitload of money. To be completely honest, like XQC is really big. Uh, Gordon Ramsay is very big on, on Twitch. Uh, XQC and, uh, Gordon Ramsay, match made in heaven. Maybe giving XQC a cooking lesson. You know? He seems like he's such a great chef, judging by some of the, uh, 
the the clips I've seen. <laughs> oh, and just uh, just imagine an unfiltered, like an unscripted, unfiltered Gordon Ramsay. That is that is what Gordon Ramsay on Twitch would end up being, and I would I would love that. Um, the last thing we want to talk about, I want to talk about this. So, Pine sixty four. Uh, they make devices like the Pine Note, and through some various uh, patches and fun stuff, you can run mainline Linux on a Pine Note. Normally, you'd have to run like their custom distro that is designed specifically around the Pine Note, but you can run mainline Linux on a Pine Note. So, do you know what this means? So, Pine Note has an e-paper display uh, that has a refresh rate of uh, 7.5 uh, hertz. So you, at a terrible, terrible blurry frame rate, could play Doom on a Pine Note. I wouldn't want to do that. So the problem... Okay, here's the problem with a e-paper display. It's not 7.5 hertz are the same way that an LCD is 7.5 hertz. Like, if you have an LCD is 7.5 hertz, it'd be really shit. But say, like, 30 hertz or whatever it is. So when a... When an e-paper display changes between frames, I don't know how it works. Don't get me to explain the science behind it, but it basically blurs the frames together. So it wouldn't just be, hey, this is Doom showing 7.5 frames a second. It would be Doom that is a blurry mess. But you know what? If a Pine Note was cheaper, I would buy it and do it. Problem is they're four hundred dollars, so um, not gonna happen. But if Pine wants to send me a Pine note, I will happily play some Doom on it. Um, that would be a uh, that would be a uh, that would be fun. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna have to like go and run some like add some custom patches to it. I don't actually know the specific stuff that has been, uh, done here, um, but you will need to go and, like, apply some custom patches to the kernel, because, you know, you're not, you're not exactly, uh, you're not exactly supposed to be, uh, <laughs> using shit like this with, uh, desktop Linux. Apparently there's a tricolor e-ink. Wait, what? I didn't know that existed. Uh, I thought e-ink was always just going to be grayscale. Um... E-ink, uh, e-ink, uh, three-color? Uh, e-ink display. I don't know if looking up tricolor is going to find it. Uh, not finding... Uh, red, oh, red, black, and white. Uh-huh, Okay. So you get red ink as well, or red red color, I guess, as well. That's kind of neat. Um, they're pretty cheap, apparently, as well. You can like thirty bucks for a screen. Um, I don't know if there's any devices actually using them though. That's the difference. Um, hmm. Ink's a cool technology. I do like it. I think, I think if we didn't have ink. There, like, no one would really care about, like, e-readers. Like, if we were just using LCDs with our, like, reading-based tablets, 
I don't think anyone would really care about them. Like, e-ink is a really nice technology just because it gives you a more natural, I guess, paper sort of style of reading. It's not like, hey, here's an LCD where there is a light blaring into your eyes the entire time you're looking at it. It's a bit more not that. It's it's closer to, like, a Game Boy screen than, like, an LCD. Obviously, that's a exaggeration, but, like, in the way that it's not massively bl- uh, massively backlit and just blows out your eyes when you're trying to read it. Um, <coughs> but, hey, yeah, if I had a, uh, if I had a Pine Note, if anyone happened to have a Pine Note, um, go run, go run mainline Linux on it and play Doom on it, because that'd be funny, and send me a video, because that'd be funny. Um, yeah. Uh, is that gonna be everything today? I think there's, oh, there's one last thing. Um, here is a, uh, a tabletop hand massager, which, you know what? I feel like I kind of want, because I got some, I got some wrist problems. Also, what is that mouse? I want to say it's not a G502, but it's got a G502 style design, but then it's more mad caddy. I don't know what this is. If anyone happens to recognize this specific mouse, I would uh, like to know. So once again, created by a Japanese company, like we saw last week with the um, the device where you can lick a screen and taste stuff. Um, the... Uh, I don't know what that word is. B-A-U-H-U with like two little dots above it. T-T-E. I don't know what that word is. Uh, the device uses 15 heated air cushions to supposedly stimulate the feeling of a real massage. And, well, why the hell not? Yeah. Yeah, why the hell not? If this is how you're playing games, I think you do need a massager. Like, I think you genuinely do. Like, what are your fingers doing? <laughs> Wait, this is actually a great picture. So, we've got a... We've got a... <laughs> I didn't look at the rest of this article. So we've got a leg rest. I don't know what this chair is, but I imagine it's a fairly expensive chair. We've got two cans of Monster uh, sitting on an arm. You know what? I kind of like this setup. Uh, so basically it's going to have like cushions wrapped around. I kind of, you know what? I want this. I don't know how it's going to cost. Um, it's actually not that much. That's actually really cheap. Um, that's actually really cheap. What the hell? $150 for that. Uh, more than gamers, you really should not uh, play so long that your body starts complaining. You shouldn't, but also just having a hand massage just sounds good anyway. Um... <laughs> Though I have to say, having some wrist problems, uh, working with a bad mouse this summer, I solved them completely with a roller mouse. <laughs> a roller mouse. What is a roller mouse? What the fuck is this? What the fuck? How does that work? Wait, do you move this this, like, rubber thing, and then move it left to right? That's so fucking weird. I think a trackball would be way more comfortable than that, but, hey, each is the, uh, to each of their own, I guess. 
Um, genuine curious, uh, curious about this. If someone works all day on a computer and climbs sometimes, it seems like a pretty good idea, uh, if it works. This actually isn't a bad idea, but I'd be more interested in a version that does the same thing for my feet. I'm pretty sure foot massages exist. I'm pretty sure foot massages already exist. Um... Uh, I've, I don't know who this is. Uh, let's see. You can only put hands in this thinking. Don't, don't put anything. Don't, don't. That would hurt. Don't put anything else in there. Um, you know what? If I can, uh, I kind, I kind of want to get one. Will I make a video on it? Probably. <laughs> Will I make a video on it just so I can justify the expense and make it a business, uh, business expense? Probably. Also, how many people can you can you say in the Linux space are making videos on hand massages? I'm gonna say zero. Maybe there's one. I don't know everybody, but I'm gonna say zero. Um, and as I said, I have problems with my right wrist, so maybe it's not the uh, maybe it's not even the uh, the the worst idea. Um, yeah. So that's going to be pretty much it for me. Uh, over on the gaming channel, I actually finished playing Bloodborne today. So for, I guess I guess the day that this goes live, um, I'm probably going to be playing... I don't know what I'm going to play on, the, uh, on that spot now. Maybe Spyro 3. I'm thinking Spyro 3, but if not, uh, we'll work it out before then. Um... Also, on the Friday, we're now playing Hollow Knight. So, we finished off Kingdom Hearts Rechain of Memories. Uh, that's going to be starting today uh, for my recording. Uh, for, for Today for me, next week, we're on part two. Hollow Knight, from what I hear, is uh, it's, it's Ender Lilies with its backtracking on crack. So, I'm going to have fun with that. Um, but luckily, there's a map, so it's fine. And, yeah... I've got some ideas for the main channel streams. One thing I want to do is like a, uh, I guess you call it a spring cleaning stream. So I've got a lot of applications installed on my system that I don't use anymore. Like genuinely tons of applications that I have no interest in using again. Um, so I should probably get rid of some of them, but I'm lazy. So if I can turn that into content, um... I think I'm going to have to do that. Sounds like a good idea. Plus, getting rid of config files and stuff, applications I'm not using, all that fun stuff. I'll work out, like, the exact, um, the exact, uh, what's the word? Plan. That's the exact plan, uh, before we start it. But I'm thinking of doing that this week, uh, or maybe I'll do it next week. I don't know. I'll do it at some point, and then at some point as well, we'll get back to doing the LFS stream. Uh, LFS streams, because we sort of just left that one off, and just, because I got bored. <laughs> I just got bored and didn't really feel like continuing it, but we'll get back to it at some point, and, uh, have some fun with that. So, that's gonna be it for me. Um, main channel, Brody Robertson, gaming channel, Brody Robertson Plays, the podcast available in audio version, audio places like Spotify, uh, things like that. The video version on YouTube and Odyssey. And yeah, that's going to be it for me. I have had this bit of hair sticking up at the back the entire stream. So if it's been bothering the video watchers, 
are good because it's been bothering me every time I see it as well. That's going to be it for me, and I'm out.